Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tag One Team Talks, the webinar series about emerging web technologies. My name is Preston So. I'm your host and editor-in-chief at Tag One Consulting, moderator of the Tag One Team Talks, and also senior director of product strategy at Oracle and author of Decouple Drupal in Practice. We've got a really exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about the idea of how we can introduce more front-end components and the idea of components into the Drupal front end. I'm joined today by two of my great friends, Fabian Franz, who's based in Switzerland, Senior Technical Architect and Performance Lead at Tag One, as well as Michael Myers, Managing Director of Tag One. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. So Fabian, I know that last year you gave a really exciting DrupalCon talk about this idea that you've had for a long time that has been percolating throughout the community for a while as well about this idea of components everywhere. And there's a lot of people who have different visions, but can you tell us a little bit about what was the main thrust of your idea behind components everywhere? The main idea for me, like the ultimate vision is that you build an app backend application in the exact same way as a front-end application, purely data-driven, but without having to know anything about APIs or decoupled or anything like that. So the, the main gist and idea was to decouple Drupal within itself, the data within itself. So that, that was kind of the, the main thing. And then I put lots of technology around <laughs> this idea. So let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the key concepts that you spoke about because this has been a very exciting topic. I think a lot of us in the decoupled Drupal kind of ether have talked about this idea of how do we decouple Drupal within itself? You know, we had a talk, I gave a, a posted a little panel a few years ago about decoupling Drupal from the inside out. That was about some of these ideas. And I think that you've identified a really interesting axis to go down in terms of really looking at how can we actually do this decoupling from the inside of Drupal, but at the components level and driving this kind of ability to still have that relationship between server and client really clearly established, but have these shared components. So what are some of the key concepts that you identified during your session? I mean, I know that you talked about you know, web components, but let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the ideas behind your dream and vision. What are some of the pieces in Drupal that you're talking about? And what are some of the ideas? Are there custom elements involved? What sorts of things are you talking about when you say purely data-driven components? So the main idea is basically you have achieved success when you are able to use the same component front-end and back-end-wise. And it's only the data that is provided to the front-end and everything continues to work the same on the back end or on the front end. You don't have to do anything. That's basically, again, the very abstract idea. Now, in more concrete terms, uh, one of the key concepts, what you need is obviously components. And I've talked a lot about um, that theme functions are very similar to components, but by now I've, I've identified the gap. <laughs> the thing that's kind of distinguishing theme functions from other things, and that is the missing slots. Slots, the ability to basically have a component and you have something in there, which is then um, at some point rendered as part of this component. Basically, this whole concept of children that we have in the render tree, but we, we never explicitly made about that this is basically like a slot for a component that we are rendering. 
those children or those attributes or those things. Basically, we have all the concepts for a component-based system within Drupal, which is one of the, in my opinion by now, one of the reasons why it was so hard to implement one, because um, whenever you start implementing it, you get the feeling of, ah, we already have that. We have this, we have that, we have that. We have all already, why should we reinvent the wheel? And people at Laravel, for example, they just, in, they have templates and they still introduced a component tag uh, to their Blades templating system. And I found that interesting because it makes the distinction much more clearer of what needs to happen here. So components are definitely a key part and a theme function is so similar to a component or a chick template is so similar to a component, but it's still not the same. And I think it's very important to, to understand that thing. Yes, you can implement, for example, slots with trick automatically, basically in that thing, because everything you have in the templates to do that, but it's still not the same mindset-wise of writing them. Another huge part is syntax. And again, I didn't know that, that Blade X existed at the time of my talk. Laravel just introduced it in Laravel 7. And they did a very clever trick in being able to identify all components. They just all prefix them with an X. So for example, if you have an alert component, you don't have to have a huge regex of all possible component names in your system. You just search for X dash, whatever, and you find all the components. And that way, that's another part as, uh, that I talked about in my talk. As a developer, you want to um, be able to write HTML. That means you wanna you wanna write X alert, set some properties, and that's your alert component. You don't wanna use a trick syntax, you don't wanna use use add component, and Laravel got that. We talked about that before in our previous Laravel talk that they're very pragmatic, they're very developer uh, concentrated. Uh, while this in Drupal world, we are often very much like trying to aim for perfect first, <laughs> and they're going for pragmatic first. And BladeX in, in that respect is very interesting in that it also kind of like started out within the contract world of Laravel, uh, like as a contributed library. And then it got into, into the core of Laravel as it was so useful and, and fun. But while getting into core, they kind of like had this great idea of being able to efficiently pass all those components. So that's the second part. First is components, second is nice syntax to, to work with that. And the third thing then is, is kind of like the interactivity. Again, we have something like that already. It's Drupal Ajax, it's perfect, it's great, but it's tied to Form API, it's very hard to use. And again, Laravel uh, introduced recently something called LiveWire, where you have principle, again, the concepts that Drupal Ajax has since ages, but again, implemented in a way better um, form or idea that, that makes it possible, basically. We have the ability to update dome server side, but what we don't have is basically the idea of, and maybe you can talk a little bit in more detail later, is of, of having the data in and out, because that's what you mean. The other key concept that I've talked about in my talk was a store, basically. You want to have a store, a provider, something that provides you the data where you can get it out and can update the store and then it is. And again, LiveWire is implementing parts of that again by, for example, that you have 
like a server-side message adds to the counter, increment counter, and then you just call that and Layfire automatically knows that it now needs to change the server-side store and then return the new states to the client. So I've learned a lot about kind of like what the, what the ecosystem uh, now provides here. So that's really, really fantastic. But yeah, we still need to bring it all together. <laughs> yeah, and I think you've identified a couple of really interesting um, points here. The first is that, you know, components and this idea of supporting components and data-driven components is not something that's really new to uh, a lot of these ecosystems. We've seen, as you mentioned, Laravel really emerge with this amazing Blade project, right? This, this component-based kind of tool, BladeX, that really integrates nicely with LiveWire. You've identified also Drupal Ajax, which I think we can both agree is, is a bit of a more, let's say, outdated or, or, or anachronistic way to do kind of component-driven uh, kind of work. There's a couple of other projects, though, that I think are really interesting to look at, especially as we start to look at web components. First of all, there's the web components server-side shim, right? Can you talk a little bit about how that fits in in terms of this general landscape of, of components in the front end? Yeah, so there has been this, this initiative that I think ultimately did go into this hex stage where they tried to introduce web components into Drupal. And they basically tried to, and I do think we are not yet there. So web components is not components. That's something many people don't understand yet. <laughs> because we define the component as we have HTML, we have encapsulated JavaScript, and we have encapsulated CSS, basically. And web components go one step further because they have shadow dome. And that means they have a complete encapsulation automatically, basically. And then you have other things that are either living in the shadow dome or in the light dome that are then further trickling down these components. So um, shadow dome basically in this case is, is like a little bit of like a game changer in all of that because it, it allows you to have CSS, which is not affected at all by anything that came before. As I've said before, another way to do it is basically to use class-based CSS, uh, utility-based CSS like Tailwind, where funnily enough, if you have all styles directly on the elements itself, you also don't, never have to deal with cascading problems, or at least not in the, in the effect of the original CSS cascade. So both Shadow Dome, breaking the cascade, Tailwind, not using the cascade at all, are going into this direction of maybe this CSS cascade was a little bit of like bad design in that. Other UI systems, like if we look a little bit about the mobile application, um, how they are built, native applications, how they are styled. There's also two new ways to, for example, use React, like the React Native and this other competition from Google uh, Flux or something. Yeah, Flutter. Flutter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They basically show you can build uh, like like nice layouts completely without cascading. Also, all React-based components where you add CSS with, for example, CSS in JavaScript, CSS in JS, all of those don't make use of the cascade at all. So basically, everyone is, is going away from this idea of that the styles are cascading down 
and more defining this is my element and it's centered and now naturally everything that comes below it would be centered as well but not due to the cascade but just because the parent is centered and I think that's a shift in, 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 in thinking about those things. That basically, we also have to distinguish between layout components and style components a little bit more. And there's many ways to roam, but the way of the uh, web components is basically to use the shadow dome and break this. And one of the things that, however, is missing for web components is they're JavaScript only. So um, they are non declarative right now. So you always need to load your component first, for example, from the HTML module, then you have to register it and just then the browser can actually display it correctly. So the platform is not there yet, I would say, <laughs> as, a, as a thing. Because the web components in that, what you really want, if you want to use Shadow Dome, is not just the normal Shadow Dome, may attach, etc but you want to have like a declarative shadow dome where wherever you want, you can break the CSS barrier. And you can say from here, I've got a new route, which is like an iframe without the problems of the iframe. <laughs> like from here, there's a new route. And um, from here, my styles are broken up and new styles are only taking effect in that. And I've heard from browser vendors, not directly, but on Twitter, that this is, freakingly difficult to implement. <laughs> Shadow DOM itself was very, very difficult to implement already, but um, declarative Shadow DOM seems to be on a completely another level again to, to implement this. And there's, for example, shims where you can, for example, have like an X shadow root element, and then you load some little JavaScript and it automatically creates your Shadow DOM. So there's lots of ideas in the web component thing as well here to, to solve that. But uh, this makes the server-side rendering so challenging. And this was one of the ideas that Sam Mortensen, um, who contacted me after the talk and said he found it interesting and this is where he had gone to uh, before, was going with this server-side uh, web component shim, basically that he also implemented all of the Shadow Dome and tried to stimulate that either via classes or, I might be wrong here, but he tried to simulate basically the shadow dome approach using some different techniques. And so then be able to completely render this trick component on the, on the server. And I think that's an interesting idea overall. This, and that's kind of what I said, we need to shim for web components. In all my research, I think web components are still the future, but I think there's still something's missing until it's ready for, like declarative shadow dome might be really the, the game changer of, of being to use it. But it's also in many things, if you, for example, don't need or don't want shadow dome because you're using tail when you're very happy with, with your styles already and your components interacting with each other, then maybe you don't even need those, those web components. And the other parts of what web components is giving you basically the custom elements. And that's more a question of who renders your things. Is it browser or is it whatever technology uh, you want to do? And again, there's new interesting points of that. There's two new libraries of, but maybe we can get to that a little bit later of uh, 
JavaScript template editors are amazing in, in what they allow to do with lit HTML, doing more things. So that's, but really, if I were to implement this, like this whole thing, I would not bet on web components right now, but more on components as a level and then have, have it be, is it a web component? Is it a Vue component, React component, Trick component, whatever as an implementation detail and not as the, um, as the overall important thing. The important abstraction layer is a component. It's less relevant, it's the data that flows into that component. It's less relevant of who in the end is, is displaying it or doing it. Wonderful, and, and I think that's given a very good uh, summary of some of the issues behind web components and some of the problems that you know, we have in terms of really allowing for this kind of idea of universal web components, right? Both server and client um, having access to these same uh, components. There's one technology that I know that you have spoken about in the past as well called Inertia.js. And, and this is a little bit less to do with kind of uh, component-based rendering, but more to do with routing. What's the story behind Inertia.js? And you know, I know that it's one of those technologies that you looked at after the talk. Are there any conclusions that you would have changed based on knowing about Inertia and learning about Inertia? So those LiveWire, Laravel LiveWire, which was just released, and Inertia.js, I did not know at the time of the talk. Inertia.js basically is more the, it's, it is for, the idea is very similar to what I've, outlined as the ultimate goal to write a single page application without writing a single line of JavaScript. And that's great that they're implementing that. They have bindings right now for Laravel and Rails as far as I remember. And, but the, the important thing about inertia is basically that you can write normal controllers and you set them up in a special way. And then you are, you're giving back data. So that's a little bit to my data-driven approach of that. However, and um, then basically, whenever you have something where only the data changes, then it just changes the templates on, on the client directly. And then you can feed Vue.js with it and, 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 and other things also, if you want to. So it allows to do that. And whenever it kind of changes completely the context, then it does a full server-side request. So basically, whenever you click on a link, it decides can I do an AJAX request? And if it can do an AJAX request, then it gets back just the data, updates the data, and you'll get, get like your result immediately. But if it turns out when you get back the data that, for example, the hash has changed because some page layout or whatever has changed or the data is no longer compatible with what's on the page right now and you really need to navigate to a new page, then it does another full page request and loads basically a new state of that. So it's, it's giving you basically, it's an interesting way to implement something which allows you to get more to a single page application level without having to really write JavaScript or change backend, etc. For me, and for me, it doesn't go far enough because in Drupal, we don't just have like pages, just like an event or something like that, but we also have lots of other objects on the same page. We have blogs, we have uh, complex APIs, we have uh, forms, we have, we have so many elements like that, that this doesn't really work. I mean, it's very similar to Vimlia's experiment with like implementing turbolinks for, for Drupal, which 
bugs file overall because with dynamic page cache, we exactly now like, is this page similar to this layout, etc. And we can, can do that. And then we can just update kind of like those sections that actually have changed. But again, this is not, in the, it's a nice approach and definitely workable. And if you want to do that, check it out. And um, for example, the people at Basecamp, they're saying they're mobile apps. It's pure Rails plus Turbolinks and it's fast enough and good enough like in, in that. So it's definitely possible to, to build an app-like approach just with the idea of Turbolinks or just with the idea of Inertia.js, etc. But really this is more replacing the need for a React router or a Vue router or those things. And in my vision approach proposal uh, for this whole thing, this is not even necessary because inertia would be happening automatically. Basically, you would never be, be sending just a page request. You would also be sending always the data. There's some drawbacks to that as well, obviously, because um, your payload gets, gets larger in that. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a problem in general. I followed some Twitter discussions again of um, React folks in this case. And basically, the server-side rendering is always a problem of you server-side render something, and then you have to push also the whole data tree, basically, to the initial state to uh, rehydrate the application. Rehydration takes a long time, so it's a really unsolved problem. So nothing to, I mean, if the, if the really huge team of React and innovative, again, again, have not solved it yet, it's definitely still something that's challenging to solve in that. And yeah, another thing that I basically learned since then is, is a little bit that perfect is the enemy of good enough. <laughs> so I, I probably tried to do a little bit too much at first, just looking at solutions like Inertia.js or Livefire. They just focused on one part of the problem and solved it really well and provide a lot of value. And I think that's that's a good, good approach to go, uh, basically, to just start somewhere. For example, we could could just take Laravel's Xblade renderer, RecExp, that they've already built, thankfully, and which are robust and work good enough for them, take them as, as a library in, and then use that version Drupal, and we can have a nice syntax already with, for example, the components module. So that's and I know that, you know, you've, you've, you've learned a lot of lessons from this research that you've done and looking at inertia, looking at a lot of the ecosystem that's available in Laravel. What was the interest level like in the Drupal community? I mean, I know that you started a channel in Drupal Slack. Obviously, I would have uh, very much looked forward to talking with you about this in person in Minsk in front of United, but obviously uh, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm curious, what's the level of interest like in the Drupal community? And what have you been able to accomplish in terms of, of spreading the gospel, not just you know, the, the kind of technical underpinnings, but also convincing others of this approach? Generally, there was huge interest, in, interest after DrupalCon. Interestingly, community impact was much higher than interest for core maintainers. So there was the, the most skepticism was basically on the, on the core side, but also in just prototyping it out and see what, what I can do. I got pretty busy, I must say. So that really my next step was 
front-end United Minks to get to an actionable plan, work directly with the front-end community and the next steps. I've already gathered some folks who are interested and eager to do something. And again, my I was not yet able to kind of formulate an action plan of, of what to do, where to start, how to go. And so that's still the next step. And basically that was what my presentation in Minx was about, components everywhere, the next steps. Basically, where do we go from here and, 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 and how do we do that? I still believe that overall my, my, whole, my whole approach of, of completely decoupling the data is in the end harder but still superior to something like LiveBio where you have a mix of defining data on a component like you would with in view or whatever and then you you are updating this data and then you do that and I do also think that Drupal has the huge opportunity to for example say these components have dynamic data. And this is data that will never change, like unless we do a full page request or whatever. And we would have the ability to say like, this does never need to be rehydrated anyway. We can have just a static page skeleton. Basically very similar to how dynamic page cache has a skeleton and then you have the placeholder filling in the blanks uh, uh, in that whole thing. And I do still think there's a huge opportunity that, as I said, the front-end community really hasn't solved yet in that we do exactly now what needs to be interactive, what doesn't need to be, or we could have, we could create a language where basically you were able to, to do that. Um, and you could determine this block really should be interactive because Whenever someone clicks a flag, I want that to automatically update, but this block doesn't need to be, etc. And that way, again, uh, giving the developer the ability to specify what's interactive and what not could make it easy to, for example, not having to push the whole tree, but really only what can change on the page. And uh, yeah, I still think um, over the trend goes back from purely front-end things to more like Nova, Symphony, Rails, uh, traditional page controller things. It was also very interesting. There was a talk about 2020 from that basically a React request tries to simulate a traditional page request. <laughs> this is interesting because they want with hooks and everything, they want to get back to the simplicity of PHP just not with all the problems, but basically really the idea of GraphQL hooks and all of that was basically that you write code like it's 1999, again, like, like a traditional PHP app. And we have PHP stuff. <laughs> and I do think we have huge opportunities to, to get back into the market and make it easier. And Blavel, I must say, is a huge front runner here in, in showing us how it can get done in terms of innovation and other things. I must say that is, that is really, really amazing. And yeah, so that's the point. So for example, in LiveWire, it works like you return the, you return the markup like we do in Drupal Ajax and the data, and then you update both the data store on the local side and the and the markdown, and then they use the dome diff library to seamlessly update. That's something, for example, we should be, should just implement in Drupal Ajax 
just use that same DOMDIF library. And whenever we replace something with AJAX, we are not updating the DOME, like with, with all the event handlers, et cetera, having to run again, but really only what has changed. And if something hasn't changed, we don't need to reattach behaviors, et cetera. It sounds like a lot of these ideas have been, you know, kind of cycling around for, for quite some time. You know, a lot of what you've just mentioned is very critical, I think, to the fundamental foundation that underlies virtual DOM, for example, right? Instead of re-rendering the entire DOM tree, you're only rendering the portions of it that have changed, or the portions of it that are computationally more complex, right? As we've seen with cacheability metadata in Drupal and the ways in which you can, you know, indicate to dynamic page cache that, hey, this, this is much more dynamic than this part. So I'm kind of curious, what exactly do you think will need to happen from the syntax perspective? You know, I know that one of the things that you've talked about is the fact that a regular expression, you no longer have to go through and look at every single possible custom element that could have any kind of nomenclature, but you'd only have to look at things that are prefixed with X, like X alert, right? I know that one of the things you've examined is that a Twig preprocessor could just, could just do this, and it would be just nicer to work with. Could you talk a little bit about what's the relationship like, and, 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 and what does the juggle look like between things that we've introduced from the Twig ecosystem and new things that we'll have to introduce from, let's say, outside the Twig ecosystem or things that we'll have to invent? Like, what, you know, the kind of thing you just mentioned around having that re-render of just portions of the page in the Drupal Ajax framework, for example. Do you see other things that will need to be outside of Twig or replace Twig altogether, potentially? Or, or you know, how does Twig kind of play out in your vision for, let's say, Drupal 10? So in terms of being able to be a client-side language as well, Twig is the worst you could have. <laughs> <laughs> and Laravel has the same problem with Blade because Blade, Twig, etc., they are all declarative languages that in the end compile to a string. That's also why Livefire choose basically not to send a template to the client, but directly send back the markup and say, uh, all those libraries have a virtual dome basically and have a data tree. Our data tree is the HTML itself. Kind of like, like, like explaining it like this. And if you're, if you're taking this, this approach, that's basically what we do with Drupal Ajax as well already, just that they made some very, very nice developer experience around it, et cetera. So, but your question was kind of like, how does Twig need to change? So, Lova did not like I overthink it. <laughs> and said like, hey, we need to render the template first and we need to, to check this. Basically they say, hey, we pass your HTML component and if you use X whatever and you do it wrong and you try to piece it together out of several strings, then you will get a pass error <laughs> and that's it. So um, again, a very pragmatic approach that basically you don't have to think about of all those edge cases, all those things that could go wrong. And, but instead you're just saying like, hey, if it doesn't pass, you get a pass error. And I think that's a pretty pragmatic approach. Also, if you want to bind a variable and then use a special syntax, like you're used to from Vue, from Angular, from whatever like that, just introduce the same concept, use it and, uh, and do that and combine that basically with the, the component that they already had since five or six or whatever uh, version and, and do that. So again, 
in Drupal, once we have a, like a component trick tag with the slot syntax, with, with everything we need and do that, then we can have the nice sugar on it. And even an include already can, can have the nice syntax. So basically the idea was, and John Alban again was very active here. He has written a components module and components module is probably still our best bet in, in trying all of those things out. And then he wanted to introduce a nicer way for, for core to, to create the theme template than just to uh, some nicer syntax. And I was like, hey, why not just alert directly? Like instead of having like this include alert HTML trick, whatever, or a, a component function at HTML trick or whatever like that, why not really just, just write alert directly? And I still think um, that's the nicest way to, to write a web application that assume that you could, could just, whenever you were in some render tree or whatever, you would just write xalert as a, as a trick template, basically uh, an inline trick template somewhere. Or in some other trick template, you write this, this xalert and, and it just works. And there's your alert component. And you don't have to know that you need to call theme or you need to construct a render array or whatever. And the nice thing about this is the syntax is, it frees us from all the old things. It doesn't remove all the other things that render tree is nice, but we have pre-render, pre-process, access. We have so many things mixed in this render tree which you originally needed from form API and then we blow it all up. So um, using components, a syntax, a simple component that is purely data driven and can then be attached, for example, to lifecycle methods, um, which is basically the main thing that LiveFire brought to, to, to things which you need for, for the front end. And then you can have like class-based components which have those more lifecycle things then you have the ability to kind of start over, finally, <laughs> and, and leave all the baggage behind. It's, it's still not a, it's not a new system, it's still interfacing with the other things, but where we need to go within Drupal, within Drupal 10, in my opinion, the most, is to remove layers. Because all we did from Drupal 4 to Drupal 9 is add layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer. And that works to a certain extent and is a nice way of, of, of doing things, but it's not scalable ultimately. And one of the reasons we needed this very nice performance system for Drupal 8 was because just adding Symfony and putting all the Drupal head before on top of it, it was just a nightmare for performance in that that with caching we could mitigate that and it's gotten faster in many, many cases because we are caching so well now. But in the end, in, in many applications like uh, Laravel or Symfony World, they are like, why would we need to cache, cache those things? We, we are fast enough out of the box in that. And Drupal could go there again as well, I think. But the only way to do that is to, to cut fat. <laughs> basically, and, and start over with modern things. And this component thing is, is one huge chance of, of having a component not go through the whole theme system, not go through the whole thing, but really just 
go directly to the components, etc. And then obviously, yes, for sure, one needs to think, what about seams itself, base seams, etc. So maybe you can't cut all fat. <coughs> but for example, just cutting um, from the render tree, a lot of things, I think that would already be like a huge advantage uh, in, in being able to do so. That's amazing. I think you've outlined a really incredible roadmap for the ways in which we'll enable Drupal to really engage in a much more modern front-end development experience. I think this has been a big complaint, but it's also been a very intractable problem for a long time. And it's really amazing to see that you've identified not only all of the pieces that we'll need in the front end, but also in the back end with all of these abstractions. And it's really amazing to see. I want to talk a little bit about the data, right? So we talked a lot about the syntax. We talked a lot about kind of the, the shared component architecture between server and client. But we haven't talked so much about the data and the data store, right? And one of the things that you know, I've spoken about in the past is the ability to, for example, if you've got translations, leverage Drupal settings on any front-end application. What sort of things do you see in terms of opportunities for uh, potential more overloading of the Drupal settings object? You mentioned earlier a React provider. I'm kind of curious, you know, now that we've talked a lot about sort of the syntax and how the components will look, what exactly does the data look like? How does it get stored? So many, many more complex applications have this concept of a store. And the store is basically the one thing that is responsible for mutating state. All state is a model by uh, immutable, <laughs> immutable by default. And whenever you create, whenever you modify state, you create a new state, basically. That's the whole idea of immutable JS. In Facebook, written a whole uh, editor on, uh, as part of it called Draft.js that's based, for example, on Immutable.js. And the idea of immutable state is that you can also go back to an older state because basically a state is just a snapshot of data at a certain point of time. And then you do, do an operation on the state and then it moves from one state to another. And some of the state is persisted, other state is not persisted. That's basically the, the high-level overview of that. And for example, the initial state of a page, you could, could by default just put it into Drupal settings, like, like that. But now you still want to inject the states and you need to get the state to the React components that are then, in the end, ultimately are responsible for, for doing that. And the way you are doing that is um, you put it into the data store. And now the data store needs to um, go to the components itself. And for example, in Vue, you have a directive where you just inject the store in all components. <laughs> There's a way how do they do it. But in React, for example, you provide a provider. So you have a consumer and you have a provider. And you have a provider for the store. And then the store gets, uh, gets provided by the provider. And then the consumer can basically uh, inject it into those components that need it. And that's, again, one way to, uh, to get, it, get it down to, to that. And this, again, allows you to make your components pure. So, for example, if you think about the traditional jQuery component, they got their Drupal settings injected, basically, as part of their constructor. And the other components really don't, don't have that, but they have this concept of a store. So this is how you can get both configuration as well as data to uh, those components. 
Wonderful. Well, we are running a little bit short on time, so I wanted to um, ask a, a bit more of a community question. You know, I think there's a lot of folks who are very, very interested in this. You mentioned some folks who are friends of ours who are already working very hard on these problems and thinking about these problems. What are the next steps in your view? Is there a particular call to action you'd like to share? Are there ways that people can help you with this idea? Obviously, especially now that most of us are, are not able to meet at events and physical contribution spaces, what are the best ways to get involved? In general, the best way is still our Drupal Slack channel. But really, I think the next step is for me to formulate an action plan for this unofficial initiative. And yeah, and maybe even at Frontit Unite is cancelled, create a presentation of what the next steps are. All that we talked about just in a more more thing. And then maybe do a webinar or whatever <laughs> uh, to get get the ideas out there, like 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 this talk. And yeah. And the next step is people could experiment with components module. They could experiment with creating a components trick tag, which is challenging. It's not easy because you have to implement all of the slots, etc. Could look at how Blade does things, uh, Blade X does things, and no Blade. Could look at how um, someone could could just right now work on using this X regex and just try to to see uh, what happens if we if you for example render a Drupal page like normal, but whenever we render something like like a theme function, we would uh, definitely we would just output X dash NT for example. How would a page look like? Just it wouldn't be styled or whatever, but just how would the HTML look like of a traditional Drupal page? This would be one experiment someone could do. Another would be like to now do this regex, check all those things and, and allow, just just allow, take a simple alert component and, and see how it can be implemented nicer. That whenever I wanna write an alert on my page or I wanna write whatever on my page, um, like within some documentation section and just how can I use not include but directly write XAlert like what does it entail how does it work and, and yeah basically uh, can only implore all Drupal folks look at Laravel Livefire what they're doing what concepts can we can we take how can we can basically I mean Drupal 8 was all about standing on the shoulders of the symphony giants here and uh, taking a lot of the concepts, learning from them, et cetera. And maybe it's time to learn a little bit from Laravel now <laughs> because they do a lot of things right right now. And it's, we can really profit in the Drupal ecosystem. And we still have so many things going on within Drupal the way we are way more advanced in, in the whole UI, the whole site builder role, the whole dynamic data thing. But uh, there's also lots of things where we can learn and, and ensure our developers have much better developer experience and user experience. And that really this whole um, thing does not be painful for building sites. Well, very cool. And I'm very excited, for one, to see what comes out of um, all of this. I, I think it's a, a very exciting new day for Drupal. And we'll see what we'll see what comes out of these interesting new declarative components in Drupal. I think we'll see how they come up. And I, for one, am very excited to start using actual HTML 
like syntax instead of twig includes and all the syntax that we've had to learn. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to keep following this progress and also to, of course, welcome uh, you, know, you and others back on the show who are working on this to, to, to talk about this. And I know we didn't get to all the topics for today, but we do have a little bit more time to give a bit of an aside tag about things that we're working on. So if we could all just for one minute share uh, a little bit about things that we're working on, shameless plugs, what's going on in our, in our world today? I'll go first. So I have just started a new monthly newsletter for all of my subscribers who are interested in exclusive content about things like headless CMS, APIs, voice content, all the things that you know and love from my content on the web. That will now be available also in the form of a monthly newsletter. I've had a lot of readers and followers ask me how they can get access to not only the content on my website, but also all the content that I produce outside of that realm. So um, if you're interested, the very first newsletter will be later this month. And it'll be a monthly newsletter with a lot of great content, and I'll be introducing some exclusive content as well in that newsletter. And there's going to be all sorts of great content, not only about Drupal and Oracle, but also about some of the exciting front-end technologies that we've discussed today, as well as some more interesting higher-level articles about where the CMS is headed and also where digital experiences are headed at large. So please uh, head to my website and subscribe to my newsletter, and you'll get the first one in your inbox later this month. What's going on with you, Fabian? Oh, I'm very, very excited that we, we thought a lot about, we want to modernize some very old, uh, they're still in Drupal 7, and they are obviously using the jQuery paradigm. Uh, one of them even used Angular 1, like six years ago. <laughs> and we want to modernize all of that because jQuery is nice and good, but there are more modern ways to, to write JavaScript now. And one way would have been the Vue runtime, like Laravel, again, does a lot where it makes it really simple. But what I so much dislike is tooling. I don't really want those steps. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I write PHP. I just write my code, I reload, and, and um, it has changed. I don't need to compile. I don't need to do anything. And even with, with automatic compiling, with automatic, with hot reload, with live reloading, etc. neither with CSS, that's why I like Tailwind, nor with JavaScript, I like just build steps. I, I really don't like them. This was what I liked so much about jQuery, that you would just, including jQuery, those 300 kilobyte monster, <laughs> and that there's a really nice alternative, and it's called P-React plus HDM. P-React is 3.5 kilobytes, and HTM is again 500 bytes. So you have four kilobytes and you have a full blown React ecosystem. It's completely amazing. And the nicest thing is you just include them as HTML modules. You can use all the modern technologies and you don't need any build step. You can just use import statements. You can uh, use things and it just works. It's, it's like magic. It's really like magic that the browser market is now here where you can, can write modern JavaScript without any tooling, no bubble, no nothing. And HTML is using those uh, JavaScript template literals. So you can write JSX, uh, but without having to transpile JSX. And this is really magic. Uh, same approach that lit HTML uses, uh, which more from the web components world. But um, at Pre-React is, if you add another library, it's even fully compatible with React, so you can even mix and match React components. It's blazingly fast, 
very, very little in size. And if anyone just wants to sprinkle a little bit of React like, like this in their traditional applications with JSON jQuery, ultimately removes those 350 kilobyte monster from the site and replace with some little things, I think PReact is your choice. And really check out HTM because it's so cool to write JSX without having to transpile. And this is really great. Wonderful. Well, I would definitely want to talk more about your work with uh, both of those projects and your insights there on a future Tag1 Team Talk. Michael, how about you? What's uh, new in your world? June, who works on our team and gets these uh, podcasts and video live, showed me a new tool that she's using, and it blew my mind. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. It's called Descript. And it uses AI to create the text, uh, text transcripts and the closed captioning for our audio and video files, which is nothing new. But where it really is exciting is that you can then edit the text to edit your audio and video. And that's super cool. And it also allows real-time collaboration in the editing, which is clearly near and dear to my heart. We've done a lot of tag team talks on the topic of shared editing. So check it out at Descript, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T dot com. If you guys do anything with audio or video, it makes editing such an easy process. Yeah, the thing that Michael, Michael told me about that is, for example, if someone is like, yeah, oh, like all those full words, and you just can edit them out in the text, the transcribed text, and then they are out in the video audio as well. This is like that, like a real killer about this idea that Michael brought up here. Well, with that, we are out of time. And um, once again, just so we get all those links, um, the links for my website, Preston.so, and also Descript, Descript.com. All the links that we mentioned today related to Laravel, Livewire, related to Bladex, related to all the things that we spoke about today are going to be posted online with this talk. And if you like this talk, please remember to upvote, subscribe, share it with your friends and family with social distancing, of course, in place. And of course, check out our past talks on tag1.com slash tag team talks. We'd love to hear your feedback and topic ideas. If you want to have Fabian back on the show for another uh, deep exploration of some of the uh, things that he mentioned, or if you want to have others on the show that we haven't yet had on the show, please write to us at tagteamtalks at tag1consulting.com. I want to thank my dear friends, Michael and Fabian, today for joining us on the show, and see you next time.